Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I I even find myself using them. Well, hello. I can't believe it's Monday again. Back around. And I'm actually uh, a few minutes late recording this podcast because I just had the dreaded text message from Alf's childminder saying he's got a high temperature and to pick him up so um, I've just had a frantic call with Tommy and he was like I've got to work and I was like so do I <laughs> so um, I won I won the, the chief uh, negotiation skills there um, and Tommy is currently with Alf but I'm very very excited about today's guest um, because she was actually an instrumental part of my process in deciding to have a second child so i do want to give a slight trigger warning a minor trigger warning that we will be discussing birth trauma but i don't think in great detail but if that is not for you then please skip to other episodes but i want to introduce you to someone today who i spoke to um she is a birth debrief facilitator so she helps people deal with births and birth trauma and she is also a mum of two herself and midwife her incredible instagram account which actually you guys introduced me to her that's how i ended up having the birth debrief with her she's called mixing up motherhood um, it's illy Hello, hello. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Was I pregnant when we did our birth debrief? Just. I think you were very early in your pregnancy and well, not even that early, but early where it wasn't public knowledge. Basically, um, I've, I've talked a little bit in a previous episode about my decision to become a mum of two, whether I wanted to stay as a mum of one or whether I wanted to have another one. And a big, big part of that was how will I do childbirth again? How can I put myself through childbirth again? And so when Tommy and I decided that 
we did want to be parents again and I was like okay well it's now or never like I want it I want you know I want them to be close in age and if I'm gonna do it I almost it was like I didn't want to get so much of my life back and like so Tommy there's four years between Tommy and all of his siblings and they're super close so it wasn't necessarily I know that it doesn't really matter what the age gap is but for me personally I was like I can't get out of this (laughs) and then go through it all again so it needs to be now I remember saying to Tommy like my app says I'm highly fertile so (laughs) are we going now now (laughs) or not (laughs) and so then um I was kind of in the in the process of trying to deal with my birth um, experience, and I suppose very fortunately, it happened. It happened now. Now, uh, it, happened, it happened on the the first attempt. Um, I was very lucky to get pregnant again. So then I was suddenly like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and so I I went to um, Italy to help go through my um, my birth notes from my previous birth. So. Um, yeah, why don't you talk about what it is you do and, and and why it is that you do? Yeah. So basically, when I had my own daughter, I was still working clinically as a midwife. So that was about four years ago and ended up having, a, well, I went for a planned home birth and ended up with an emergency cesarean section. All of the processes and everything that happened led to me feeling quite traumatized by the whole experience um and then the sort of fourth trimester was just additional trauma and I found it really difficult and then the shock of the difficulty just kind of made it worse but do you think it was more of a shock because you were a midwife so you almost felt like I know what I'm doing this is gonna, this is gonna all yeah. be under control exactly it's like I should know what I'm doing and you know I'd kind of been a bit like not cocky but I was confident and I was like you know I'm just going to do this and it's going to be fine. And I'm going to have this home birth. And I was working in London, but I was living in Norfolk. And so I was under a different team and that, that should have been a bit of a red flag for me, but it wasn't. And I was like, Oh gosh, yeah, you know, I've got this, I'm going to do it. What ended up being a quite a deeply traumatic transitional experience um, led to essentially this work. Cause when I went back to work after Ihsan was, um, about 14 months, I remember looking after someone and her having an experience that felt very similar to my own and basically freezing and not really knowing, kind of like being like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm having like, I'm highly triggered here. Like, I don't know if I'm okay. Led to me kind of working on my own stuff and quitting my job and sort of taking four months of kind of a lot of reflection and where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Beginning of, the pan- beginning of the pandemic, my husband was locked down in Spain and I was like, well, I'm just going to start sharing my thoughts and experiences. And so that was about two and a half years ago. And that was the beginning of mixing up motherhood. So um, after that, people would tell me their birth stories quite frequently. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, you know, I'd give them my, like tips on how to work through it, etc. And then I thought, why don't I offer it as a service? Um, and it started as like one or two bookings. And within about six weeks, I had an eight week waiting list. Um, So it kind of like tapped into a bit of an area that clearly needed a lot of support. Yeah. And just over two years later, here we are. That's what I do full time. What is the benefit of having a birth debrief from your professional opinion? So basically the NMC will say that birth reflections are not necessarily the best way of processing trauma. 
And this is predominantly because of um, one, the practitioner not necessarily being equipped to support that. Um, so often a birth debrief in a hospital is with a consultant midwife or with a senior midwife. Um, sometimes they are with the obstetricians as well. Um, but perhaps they aren't necessarily able to hold that space in a way that benefits the person and can end up being re-traumatizing. Um, but also because of defensive practice. So if you're going to the practitioner of a trust and, and you're telling them, well, you lot did this, 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 and this, they could be like, hold on, you know, and there's the defensiveness and then the gaslighting and whatever. And it's not often a, a, a conscious thing because I know people, hundreds of people who've had hospital debriefs and have really benefited from them. But those are some of the risks of a hospital debrief. So I would say part of being a private practitioner is that I'm impartial. I don't have a fear of litigation. I'm not defensive either. I also have a lived experience, but also I'm very much trauma-informed through other training that I have done to become trauma-informed in order to kind of not re-trigger or re-traumatize. But most importantly, I think with this kind of work, it's important to understand the remits of your work and say, actually, do you know what? This is beyond my remit. This needs different support and be able to signpost to that. But otherwise, I think it could be really beneficial for people to have a space to speak to someone about what happened to them across the perinatal period. So anything from preconception to well into the postnatal period and be able to kind of get that understanding of a clinical issue, but also understanding of the emotional impact that may have had um, to give them ease in subsequent decision making and to give them the sort of to give them their power back. And I think when you are traumatized, it often stays in your head a lot and you're going around in a bit of a loop and there's a lot of self-blame, uh, a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And so being able to kind of offload to someone who knows what that is, but also understands it from sort of both those angles can be really beneficial. Yeah, I have to say from my personal experience, I didn't know about really birth debriefs, anything like that. And I also didn't consider myself as someone who had birth trauma until probably about 18 months down the line in my postnatal journey. And I think it's because when I thought of sort of birth trauma or negative birth experiences, I thought of like, you know, a really horrible outcome. And I felt, well, I did have a healthy child and we got to leave the hospital pretty much straight away, like alarmingly so, four hours after birth. And I remember even when the midwives um, released me from their care at two weeks postpartum, and they were like, oh, are you happy for us to sign uh, to sign mm. you off? And I remember being like, are you happy to sign me off? <laughs> and I remember being like, well, what about, my, what about my stitches? Like, will they be healed? And they said, oh, well, obviously you'll have your six week check. And then the six week check came when I, I think that was like the, the sort of beginning for me of being like, hang on, this doesn't seem right. Cause number one, it wasn't a physical check. And number two, I'd kind of presumed probably like you said that I would have this really positive birth. I was fit and healthy. I've run marathons and 
that I'd get back into sort of normal life emotionally, physically, psychologically after six weeks. And it almost took a lot longer. I was diagnosed with prolapse. Then I found out I was stitched up incorrectly. And then the kind of, the sort of like invisible consequences of that, like having pain if I tried to have sex or even like, you know, any form of like using a tampon was a no-go, like any form of touch down there would kind of send me I didn't know whether it was the pain or whether it was like the memory of childbirth, but I would just end up crying. Um, and sometimes Tommy would be like, are you crying? And I'd be like, no. And he was like, what? Like, you can just tell me that you're crying. But in my head, I was like, but I just want to go back to normal. And I want to go back to like enjoying intimacy. And I don't want to feel like this broken, like freak who can't be intimate. And I know you speak brilliantly about relationships and the dynamics and how things can change after pregnancy or after birth. But I was like, we used to have this like amazing, passionate relationship and I want that. And Tommy was like, yeah, but not like, you don't have to do it if you're crying. <laughs> like it's not the only thing. And, um, and yeah, so for me, it took a long time to realize like psychologically, like I did have trauma. And so even though, yes, I'm grateful and I'm lucky that I had a positive outcome, I was also left physically damaged. And it took me a while to realize that it actually wasn't okay. And it could have, a lot of like my birth could have been avoided. And um, for those of you who don't know, I think I have talked about um, this process on another episode, but you can all request your birth notes from your hospital. Do you know, I went through PALS. Is that the standard way to go? Yeah, so you can you can go through PALS or you, and, and often when you just type it into Google, like request medical notes and then followed by the name of your trust, it will take you to either the direct place to get them or through PALS. So often if you file a complaint, you can request them with your complaint as well. Um, so any they have to give them to you. They are your legal property and they are kept for about 25 years. So you can request them should you want them. So my reason for um, seeking advice and support from Illy was because I requested my birth notes. And number one, I got about 200 pages that weren't even like put in the correct order. I'm still pretty sure that they didn't give me the actual like physical notes of the birth because it, it had all the different times. So it basically, they basically gave me pages from the very first time they saw me in the midwife saw me. So what, like 12 weeks of pregnancy or sooner than that. And then it went all the way through onto the day of me going into labor. So it had all the notes of like 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And then I swear there was a page missing, but it could have just been in the chaos of like the double-sided 200 pages that I received. I couldn't find it. So then I arranged a birth debrief, which is completely free to do but with the hospital. And I think I was like hoping for closure. So one of the big parts of mine was that I was denied pain relief, um, but I was also forced to have a physical check, which was incredibly painful because I was told if you want an epidural, then we have to do this. So I did it and then the epidural never came. And I, I think I was, I went into the, the NHS, the free birth debrief, almost expecting pragmatic answers of like, oh yeah, you didn't get that because we it was locked down and we were short of staff and there was no anaesthetist, like we're really sorry. So I was almost like prepared for that. But what I wasn't prepared for was actually the birth note said, 
she was fine. She was coping fine. And that really threw me because I thought, and I even said to Tommy, like, were you under any like disillusion that I was fine? And he was like, no, you were begging, like repeatedly begging for help. And I was like, how, how can I be so vocal about not being fine? And especially because I went in knowing, you know, I did the hypnobirthing and I did the, I didn't do NCT, but one of those kind of birth preparing courses. And I knew what all the different options were. And I felt very empowered and confident going in that I could ask for what I needed or wanted. And it never occurred to me that my, they would just say I was fine. <laughs> and so I actually felt almost more traumatized after the call than before I had it because it, I was like, that doesn't give me answers. Like, I don't have closure because why wasn't I taken seriously when I was really vocal and how is that allowed? And how am I meant to go into another birthing experience when I feel like the trust is completely being eroded? I think you're, you've raised a really good point there when it comes to requesting your birth notes. So people say to me, Ily, should I request my birth notes for my debrief with you? And I'm like, I don't need them because actually what I really want to, what I want to get to the crux of is your experience. And I think because they are clinical notes. They often don't speak about how you feel and what you're saying as much as it's very important. So sometimes people get their notes back and they're like, this isn't, this doesn't sound like my experience. Like this just sounds like someone who was observing something and had to jot something down. And so it can really take away the validation that you need. And it's like, what, that's not what happened. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to telling your birth story, the most important person to tell it is you, because you actually lived it. You know, you're then second guessing yourself, like, did it, did, was I not vocal enough? And you're asking Tommy, did I not say enough? And actually, it's like, that's the power of someone else documenting your story, that they can take that away from you. And so, you know, you were fortunate enough to have someone who said, no, you were and to really give that back. But for a lot of people, they don't have that. They don't have anyone to say, no, it's true. Like, you know, that wasn't the case and things like that. And they start to just believe what was said. So essentially just gaslighting themselves because they don't really have any answers. And so similarly to you can come away feeling just more traumatized by reading that document because it's not reflective of what they lived. So how can you help people and how can you empower them through your sessions so basically what we do is we go through that experience what that birth experience was and how they would describe it and then we find sort of the area the sort of problem areas or where they felt that the issue lay and give it back to them you hand that control back so it's like what happened to you tell me about what happened to you and then tools in order to kind of go forth and process it, but also to manage the impacts of it. So whether it is a physical impact or an emotional impact. So for example, someone who perhaps is struggling with intimacy following birth trauma, a physical trauma or an emotional one. And it's about kind of going back and being like, right, these are the kind of tools that you can use to speak to your partner. You can also use these tips to kind of bring you back into that intimate space as your mind has taken you back to what was a traumatic space. Um, and so we go through that. But then if we're talking about subsequent birth planning, we really work on that agency and that belief and it isn't romanticized it's not idealized um because it's it's basically in response to who you are as a person so you now know how you respond to birth 
and pain and difficulty. And so it's working with actually who you are and how you respond and how to basically use the right language and also develop that belief in your ability to advocate for yourself. Why do you think there is a sort of disconnect between women's childbirthing experiences because obviously of course you have like lots of positive births and I love hearing positive births but I also feel like often you know I I was saying earlier to somebody that um someone I know has recently had a really positive birth so I was like that's amazing I'd love to get you on the podcast to talk about it which hopefully by the way we will once she's um like recovered and got some time and she replied obviously really well-meaning being like oh yeah because all we hear about is negative stories and I was like, well, I don't want to say they're negative, but also I I always feel if I try to talk about my own experience that people are like, oh, don't scare pregnant, you know, don't mm-hmm. scare people. Or And mm-hmm. it's almost like we we are silenced in a way, but it's like, mm-hmm. or, or another thing that I find really hard to hear, especially as someone who did and loved hypnobirthing is, oh, well, I had a good experience because I did hypnobirthing. And I'm like, well, I had a good like I loved hypnobirthing, but I didn't have the good experience. So did I fail at hypnobirthing? Um, so why why is it that we're not heard and why is it that we're sort of brushed off as like negative and why aren't why aren't we better supported by healthcare? Yeah, I mean I think firstly, you know, it's about there is a real lack of accountability a lot of the time because Obstetrics and gynecology is probably the area of most litigation in healthcare. So if we have people suing left, right and centre, that means that we have to say, we did this wrong, we've done this wrong, we've done this wrong, we've done this wrong. Obviously, that would sink the whole system. So firstly, the lack of accountability is going to be a contributing factor. So the risk, the accountability means risk of liability. So, you know, we're going to have that the defensive practice as well, the normalization of certain behaviors amongst healthcare staff. And actually I didn't, you know, until I really started getting into this work, there's a lot of things that I didn't realize could have caused a trauma. Like it was, it's, it's that we, you know, when you're on the other side of it, you don't even, you're just in it. You're just doing what you're doing. And it takes a minute. You have to really step back and reflect on your own practice and be like, oh, actually. What kind of things do cause trauma from your experience yeah so even like if I say I'm really busy on a shift and we know the state of the NHS we know that everyone is very busy so I'm really busy and so I just pop in once and I say Joe I'll be with you in five minutes and I don't come back for five hours now that person that's an exaggeration but like that person could be sitting in that room in agony waiting for support needing just reassurance and I'm I said I'd be back but I didn't come back So if I'm going to give my word, I need to give my word because actually I don't know. I need to follow through, sorry, because actually I don't know what the impact of that sense of isolation may be having on that person as they're going through this very vulnerable situation and feeling like they have been left by themselves. So I might have all the reasons under the sun as to why I didn't come back. But if I haven't communicated that for that person, they're feeling like, do I not matter? Like I'm sitting here, I need help no one's coming, there's no support, I'm isolated, I'm by myself, I'm scared, and all of that sort of thing. So it's like actually, as practitioners, and that's just that's just an example, but there's so much more, you know, in emergency situations where we say we have to ring the buzzer, but we don't even give like a warning of, I'm going to ring a buzzer, lots of people are going to flood the room. 
if we just ring the buzzer, loads of people come running in, that can cause a real fear in someone. So things like that, it's about how we communicate, how we manage situations and looking at them from a trauma-informed lens, which will make a big difference to how even, you know, how accepting people are of changes of circumstances, how they feel around things not necessarily going their way or the way that they expected. Um, So that's sort of one side of it. And then the other side is, we do hear negative stories, but I think it's 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 also our perception of, of negativity because it's that we're saying, oh, oh God, it's negative, it's negative. And we perhaps miss that there's lots of learning to be taken from someone else's experience. So we shut down someone who's telling us a story that might be deemed traumatic. Um, and actually, perhaps if they'd listened to it, from a perspective of like both people wanting to engage in that conversation, there's learning to be done. And they could actually be like, oh, you know what? That has empowered me to be like, oh no, I don't want that to happen to me or I would like to do that differently. But instead, traumatic birth stories get such a bad rap that they are often shut down. And also the antenatal education space often encourages positivity and you know, surround yourself with only positive stories. Um, and so I think that also encourages people to be like, shh, shh, don't tell me your negative story. Um, and actually, one thing I will say, which I think is really important, is we often put, and part part of why there is so much trauma as well, is that we have this understanding and it's all based on our own experiences and perhaps what we have been taught or shown what of what trauma is and what negativity looks like. And so we project that a lot of the time. So we're like, oh, you know, you might tell me your story that you didn't find traumatic, but I'm like, oh my God, that's so traumatic. I don't even want to hear it. And equally, you might tell me, or like I might tell you a story that I did deem traumatic. And so I'm like, that's not traumatic. Like, what are you talking about? So-and-so had this, 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 and this. And so equally, we're just kind of being shut down a lot. Whereas actually we need to hear from people who say, no, that, that for me may be, may appear to be a traumatic experience, but I found it okay. Or that may appear to be normal and someone else may have had it worse. But for me, that was traumatic. So we give people the validation that they need rather than kind of determining what their story is. And if we if we think that it was traumatic or if it wasn't. Wow, that's so true, isn't it? I guess we live in this culture of toxic positivity as well that, you know, it's like if I were to tell someone my birth story and they're like, oh, but at least mm-hmm. at least you've got, your, you know, your child's healthy or at least he survived or at least you survived. And so then it's almost like diminishing my experience where it makes me feel silly for sharing my experience. But then at the same time, it's this weird balance, isn't it? Because like, for example, if I find out one of my friends is pregnant, I'm not going to tell them my negative. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate saying the word negative because it's not negative. It's my experience. I don't want to tell them my experience with birth because what benefit would it give? Mm -hmm. Unless they said to me, do you know what? I want to hear all kinds of stories. Would you tell me yours? I would never project my bad experience. And I think that's like the difficult line mm-hmm. with motherhood because, you know, it's like even now I'm getting loads of DMs <laughs> being like, good luck with your second. Oh, you know, sake. you're it's it's 10 times as hard <laughs> and you'll be 5,000 times more tired. And it's mm-hmm. that sort of like projection that's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And that's why in my pregnancy with Alf, 
I actually didn't want to hear any bad birth mm. stories because of ha- what empowers me. I remember Tommy's mom, who I love, was always like, you should watch one porn every minute. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. Why would I want to see like traumatic mm-hmm. experiences when I need to believe mm-hmm. I can do this? Mm-hmm. And the only way for me that I can believe I can do this is to listen to positive experiences. So I go in with a positive mindset, whereas some of my friends who've since had babies are like, can you tell me your story? And I'm like, are you sure you want me to tell you mine? Because there's lots of positive ones out there. And they're like, no, we want to hear like all, I like for them, it's empowering to hear all kinds of stories so that they can, like you said, have that knowledge and kind of use it for themselves. So I guess it's like respecting people's boundaries, but also, what upsets me, I think, is that sort of shutdown of like, don't scare. Mm-hmm. Like, you, shh, shh, shh. There's pregnant people around. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't tell them your story because it will put them off. And I'm like, but are we not allowed to talk? Are none, are none of us allowed to talk anymore? Mm-hmm. And one thing that makes me cringe is before I was a mum, I was like, mums are so negative. Mums are so negative. And instead of like hearing, wow, like people are struggling. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of pressure on mums. Mm-hmm obviously both parents, but especially on mums, rather than me being like, what can I do to help my friends? I saw it as like, got it, they're so negative. Mm-hmm. Like why have children if, why have children if it's that bad? Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to like grow that empathy of like, actually. oh wow, like actually mm-hmm. I could have probably done more to alleviate some of those pressures on my friends that were experiencing it. We kind of, it's really difficult to even understand. And I think it's so interesting when people kind of give a warning about second babies, because like, you know, my son's eight months and like it's it's tough like yeah of course we've got another human to look after it's another responsibility but there is like so much good in it as well like it is just like okay yeah I'm tired but I was tired before so you know I'm just tired and you know but you kind of you know and you'll see this hopefully you know with Alf and they'll you'll see this like your two kids and it's just the most incredible thing to see and it's like actually there's so much to look forward to and it isn't all negative and you know even when it comes to like subsequent birth because that's another thing you know oh if it was if your birth was that bad why are you doing it again it's like well no don't, don't. I'd prefer not to I always go to Tommy like I'm so gutted you can't take one of your team this time like we're so equal in like so much with parenting and I'm like wouldn't it be so nice if you could just do this like this pregnancy and this birth Mm -hmm. and I would love not to be doing birth again but actually having the conversation with you and um, Emiliana who I did an episode with a few weeks ago like I do feel excited for this birth mainly I think because I've taken the decision for myself to have um, a planned cesarean so it's a completely new fresh experience sometimes I'm like oh great now I'm gonna be like damaged in both (laughs) places but equally I'm like I know that if anything were to go slightly left if I were to try and have a vaginal birth my mindset would just go because it would take me back to my original experience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also the recovery so medically I've been advised to have a c-section because they stitched me up incorrectly if I were to have a vaginal birth there is a risk that I would end up with worse fecal incontinence and after shitting myself for a long time after childbirth that is not something that I want to risk being a permanent feature (laughs) in my life um and yeah, I just think this for me personally, 
I can hopefully just have a fresh experience with a fresh mindset. And it's amazing because actually I was the opposite to you. So I had an emergency C-section the first time and then had a an H-back, so a home birth after cesarean section Oh wow! Um, with my second. And I was f- full like gung-ho, either I'm going to have an elective cesarean or I'm having a home birth. There is nowhere in between. You know, that was the decision that was right for me at the time. So I was like, right, you're going for home birth. Let's do this. And, you know, when my son was born at home, it was like, it was euphoric. Like it was incredible, but like, I'm sorry. I don't know what people say, but like the recovery from the C-section was so much easier than the recovery from the vaginal birth. Like, blimey, that was a lot. Like it it was, it was a really extensive recovery and I didn't have extensive tearing or anything like that, but it was the full body exertion of it all and I think the kind of idea that you've had a vaginal birth and you'll be fine um also didn't really help but it was it was really taxing and you know I think when we talk about these things we say generic things like vaginal birth's easier it's much quicker recovery but you're an example of actually vaginal birth wasn't necessarily easier and also the recovery wasn't necessarily quicker for me I was taking no pain relief one day after my emergency cesarean section, where it's like following vaginal birth. I was like, oh my God, give me some paracetamol, give me some ibuprofen. Like I need something. So it really does vary. And so when we are talking to people about subsequent birth choices following trauma, it's important that we kind of give them like their own space to express what their needs are. And that's what we do in debriefs. Like what is important to you? And then how do we get that? How did you get into the mindset of trying again to go down the sort of vaginal route after it didn't work the first time? So basically- Not didn't work, but you know, circumstances. I mean, basically there were lots of contributing factors to why my vaginal birth didn't work um, or wasn't successful. And that was predominantly, I had a really, I had really bad midwives that looked after me. Obviously big love to- most midwives, but they weren't good. They weren't, you know, they didn't really benefit me in that way. And not because they were horrible people, but I think we just really didn't gel. Um, so that was the first thing. And then secondly, I think basically what had happened was she was back to back and then her head was asynclitic. So it's slightly tilted. And as she was trying to rotate, she basically got herself into like a proper like pickle and couldn't get out. So I stopped dilating at five centimeters and um, that was kind of the end of that. And by the time I got to the hospital, they'd made a call for a, um, an emergency cesarean section under general anaesthetic. And I remember being like, we're not doing that. Um, just wait a second. Her heart rate will come back up. Her heart rate came back up. I was like, now we can just do a cesarean section um, under spinal. So I was awake. Um, but when it came to my son's birth, I was like, right, what is going on with your pelvis? Why, what, what needs to happen with your pelvis for why your baby's gone in back to back and struggled to rotate? So I was seeing a chiropractor throughout my pregnancy to kind of really work on my pelvis. Um, I'd contacted the home birth team. I had a doula who was incredible, who'd come to the family friend, but she'd come from South Africa. And during my pregnancy, my mum passed away. So three months before I had my son and that really kind of tilted my world, but was also just like, you are going to get this birth sister, like you're going to do it. Um, So I definitely was like a bit stubborn in it. And with the kind of basically fallback plan that if it wasn't working, 
I needed to know beforehand and I was going to make the decision to go straight to hospital and straight to theatre. Um, so I definitely had that contingency in place, but I had a belief in my ability to birth this baby. And either way, it was going to be my choice. So I was going to stay at home. It's my choice. I was going to go and to have a, a cesarean section and it was my choice. And that's actually what mattered. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I even find myself using them. So would you describe your second birth as a positive birth? I honestly could, there are no words for the birth of my son. There are absolutely no words to describe what that feeling was and how I felt within myself um, to kind of be like, you, you did it, like you actually did it. Um, and it wasn't about how he came out, but it was that when the midwives were there, I was like, I don't need any of you. And I went up by myself and I was just moving all the time because when she first examined me, she said, oh, baby's back to back. And I was like, okay, we're doing this again. That's clearly how my babies go into my pelvis. Let's keep going. And I was just like, I need to be by myself. My sister and my doula were with me, but I had no 
eyes on me, no professional eyes on me that made me feel like I had to perform. And I did not stop moving throughout that whole labor. Like I was constantly like leg up, leg down on my knees, you know, up and down completely unconsciously. And um, when she examined me again, two hours later, she was like, your baby's rotated all the way around. And so giving myself that freedom and knowing like, I don't need to be watched. I need to trust what I'm doing. I need to be in a safe place with safe people. And I need to have the control over decision-making meant that when he came out and it was, I think it was like four hours from start to finish. When he came out, I was like, you're freaking amazing. Like, look what you did. Um, And that feeling is one that is unimaginable and that you can get from, it's regardless of how you birth the child. It's about how you were treated throughout and how you were respected and how you were autonomous. And that will make you be like, when you take your baby, hopefully, and you put this baby on your chest and you meet her for the first time, you'll be like, we did this. We managed this situation to be the way that we wanted it to be. And that will give you that exact same feeling. So it's not about how the baby comes out, but everything before. That's amazing. I love hearing, I, like, I genuinely love hearing the nice stories. I think it's important to hear the traumatic stories, but it's so nice. I like, I hope there are more and more and more positive experiences. And I hope my second is a really positive experience because like what you said earlier, I hate this sort of generalization of like, oh yeah, C-section's harder to recover from than a vaginal birth. Cause I'm like, it took me 20 months to not experience pain and to di- and to be diagnosed actually with vaginismus. Cause um, when I went to go see a gynecologist, he kind of said, oh yeah, well it's all in your head. And I was like, because of the trauma. And I was like, well, that's all very well, but how do I get it out of my head? Because I really don't want it in my head. Like I would like to enjoy sex again. I don't really care about not using tampons again because I've discovered period pants, which I wish I'd discovered beforehand. But I was like, I would like to have like, not be scared of my vagina. (laughs) So yeah, I find it really hard when people are like, yeah, yeah, vaginal births are so much quicker to recover from. I'm like, not my experience. Um, Yeah, exactly. So your chiropractor, this is probably really personal and less interesting to people listening, but was that to help with like pelvic girdle pain? Because that's something I experienced. I wonder if I should. I would recommend, I recommend a chiropractor to everyone. Um, I think the pelvis is is literally at the center and manages all of our equilibrium and also our babies. So regardless of how we're going to birth them, they are in that space. They're putting a lot of pressure and those hormones and everything. So even just slight tweaking is, it's incredible. So when I first went to see her, um, I, sh- I shared it on Instagram and people were like, stop, is that what's happening? Look at that, look at that, look at that. And you can hear and you could literally see how one leg was higher than the other. And then she did what she did and they straightened wow. out and, you know, things like that. And it honestly, when that baby rotated, I was like, that's because my pelvis is okay. Like it was clearly a, a, a space that he was able to navigate. And so to be honest with you, even if someone turned around to me and said, it's not about the chiropractor, I was like, I don't care though. It was about whatever helped my mindset to believe. But that it I also could do makes it. sense. So, like I'm surprised that we don't kind of care a bit more for pregnant people. Like, of course they should see a chiropractor. And obviously it mm-hmm. shouldn't be a privilege that you can afford to see one. Like it 
because I, I guess it would help you have a better birth. And my, my one bit of unsolicited advice, which I will never give to anyone about, mm -hmm. I'm all, whenever my friends have babies, I'm like, I'm never going to give you any unsolicited advice, but I'm here if you need. But go, <laughs> go see a baby osteo. I swear they are yeah. magicians. Honestly, I remember oh Alf was like always crying and somebody told mm -hmm. me, go see a cranial osteo. It's the best money I ever spent on him. Like, it me was too. like, it's magic, isn't it? Like, because they say, which makes sense that because they're all crooked up inside your body, mm -hmm. if they have like one little like crook in their spine, that like digs into their lungs or mm -hmm. into their tummy. And I, every friend I've told, they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's changed my life. Because I, I remember my daughter had hiccups. She would get hiccups all the time and she also had like a very cone-shaped head from where she was stuck I went to the osteo the same day her head smoothed out it was no longer a cone but she also wasn't hiccuping they were like she was just stuck and she was all like kind of you know and to be honest again even if someone says oh, it wasn't the osteo they just grew out of it it's like I don't actually care because it made me feel that I was taking control, that I was doing something to benefit my child. And I can see that there was a change. I don't really, it doesn't matter about what you think, especially something like an osteo is completely um, non-invasive. So it's like, they don't, you know, if it, if it doesn't feel like it works for you, it's fine, but they're not harmed by it. I know you talk a lot about relationships and how they change and shift. And I feel like this is such a, important conversation quite a difficult conversation to have because lots of people don't want to put their I don't want to say their dirty laundry but you know like Tommy and I did a podcast episode after a year where we spoke um kind of in depth about the changes and challenges but it is quite a hard thing for people to discuss so I feel like lots of people do go through these changes yeah yeah in silence and I think you know it's also because like with a lot of issues like the moment you've put them out there it's like they're real and it's like, oh gosh, now I've spoken about it and now I've got to do something about it. Like I can't ignore it anymore. And what relation, what having children does to your relationship is literally like, are you having a laugh? And like, it can make you feel so much closer, but often before getting to the closeness, you have to go through like the trenches and it's exhaustion, it's miscommunication, it's misunderstanding, it's kind of jealousy. There's a lot of jealousy of, you know, your whole life because of the responsibility that you have, one, from an emotional perspective, but also a societal um, perspective. It, it's shifted in a different way and often their life change will not reflect yours. And so it's like there's there's this kind of real jealousy from one side and a lack of empathy from another side it's it's there's so much to be explored when that happens but if we throw trauma into the mix it's even bigger because men if we're talking about heterosexual relationships but also partners will deal with their own trauma from having viewed something from their perspective you'll be having yours the responses will be different in both of you and often where they're not aligned you'll just be like i feel isolated in this their, your partners are i feel isolated in this it can cause arguments and all sorts. And, um, you know, now second time round, like I said, <laughs> stupidly, you know, when you say things on social media and you're like, oh shit, there's loads of you. Um, I said, oh, you know, if the first baby is like a grenade to your relationship, the second baby is like an atomic bomb. And then I had loads of people who were like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out now. I'm about to have my second. And I was like, oh guys, chill out. Like, you know, I don't mean it like that, but it is a lot. Um, but you do realise that, 
the first baby will be the real baptism of fire. And hopefully then you come back together and you're like, okay, we're cool. And then the second baby, it does throw it all up again. But the coming back together feels easier because you've done it before. So it's kind of like, okay, remember what happened last time. Okay, we can work through this. Like, what did we not do last time? And I shared a post yesterday about the kind of tips on the things that I wish me and my partner had spoken about in that first year. And it was it was mad because people were like, oh my gosh, I need to ask my partner this. This is what we need to talk about. So definitely conversations to be had. I saw that post, by the way. It's brilliant. Nine things my partner and I should have spoken about in the first year of parenting. I feel like from my perspective, I'm such an open book on social media and in the podcast, but I think like... The reason I find it difficult to talk about the changes or the challenges is because I think that actually it's like if you gossip to friends all the time, like we all have those friends who all they do is like bad mouth their relationships. So therefore you don't respect their relationship because you only hear those negative things. So it's a bit like, it's a bit like when people have a really public breakup and then they get back together and you're all like, really? Like now we know that he doesn't pick mm-hmm. up his pants and he doesn't, you know, like all of these things. So they're kind of like, respect from the outside is gone whereas of course all couples have to deal with like a dynamic shift to whatever degree but I found for me personally is exactly what you're saying the so the societal expectations because I do I've always considered myself such an equal especially in this relationship which is why it's such a healthy relationship um and I'm also a very alpha female so when I was pregnant with Alfie and people would say things to me like, enjoy getting your nails done while you can. I, I generally thought like, well, their partners must live mm-hmm. in the 1950s because why can't they just look after the children for you to go get your nails done if that's what you want to do? So I was like, we'll never be like that. But what I failed to understand was it wasn't that they were saying their partners don't look after them. They were kind of saying, because they have such little time that in the time that previously they would have got their nails done, they probably have to do 10,000 other things. But I very much went into it being like, we'll be equal, we'll be equal, we'll be 50-50. And so was Tommy. And then obviously like, A, you have like the physical recovery and the fact that biologically my boobs were the food, not Tommy's. So then I'd like resent the fact that he could go out with his friends. And it was it coincided with, um, was it the Euros? It was some football on. So when he was saying, can I go watch football with my mates it, it would be like in, I think it was summer and the sun was shining and it was like beer gardens of course I couldn't be like no how dare no you can't because I can't do any of and I just remember feeling so lonely because he'd leave and I'd be like I used to do fun things but then he would get praised for doing like the most basic of parenting which isn't to say I think all parents should be praised but it was the stark contrast of like me walking down the street with a pram with people like tutting being like get out the way sometimes like even like having to take the pram onto the <laughs> onto the road so that you're not in the way and then there'd be like a dad walking down with a pram and everyone's like cooing like oh my god so nice <laughs> and I was like what is this but also it it's um yeah like the mental I feel like the mental load is different and that's it isn't it it's that we do have we are going to carry it differently that does not take away from the fact that they have their own mental load but ours it it just feels so all-consuming a lot of the time and like you know a lot of us do need positive reinforcement like we want to be told actually do you know what 
co-sleeping or whatever like well done because actually that is such hard work like it would be nice if someone told us that rather than said well duh of course you're co-sleep you're supposed to respond to your child's needs you know like you know whereas if someone sees a picture of a dad with his baby they're like oh my gosh and look at him we don't get that so you know where we it feels like it's like a a load that then no one wants to kind of like affirm you in and be like this is hard but you are doing the damn thing like they just like yeah well duh like that's what you should be doing you know and that can feel really tough it's like how do you talk about the dynamics of your relationship shifting without people thinking it's like a failed or doomed relationship but like like you kind of echoed at the beginning like I have so much more like love and respect for Tommy because of how he parents and you know you are like forever connected over this child or children but then I also like simultaneously miss you know being able to go out or do all the kind of like the bits of your relationship that I'm sure will come back in the future but yeah it's like it's a weird it's a weird one but I think it's amazing that you're talking about it and I'm sure it's going to help um so many people hopefully I mean I I I released a new project these conversation starter cards and they're for postpartum relationships and they literally sold out within like a few hours because I think people really wanted prompts they want something physical to be like oh maybe this will encourage my partner to open up rather than trying to be like how do I bring it up to them and they I think this is just what we need it's just something that can help us to be like oh let's just talk about this thing so yes it's needed I wish in antenatal classes they would teach you a more about the postpartum period but also about relationships and communication I remember my pelvic health physio telling me that um something like the average it takes for couples to have sex after childbirth is something like 18 months. And I was like, what? No, because traditionally, like you'd hear all these like kind of passive aggressive comments of like, oh yeah, she had children and she didn't make time for her husband anymore. So of (laughs) course he had to go out and find it elsewhere or whatever it was. And I remember like even just having the confidence to communicate of like, hey, really sorry, I'm it's not that I don't fancy you, but I'm quite scared of my vagina right now. <laughs> and I remember Tommy being like, so am I. Like, I saw, I saw, like, do you think, do you think I'm like, he was like, I'm scared of hurting you as well. And that's like, it was a, like a real moment where I was like, oh yeah, he's not just like this like caveman being like, yeah. if you don't yeah. have sex with me, I will leave. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, but again, like impact, like why, why is no one empowering you to ha- to feel confident in having these like communications. And I think as well, like, I remember looking after someone postnatally and she said to me, oh, do you mind telling my husband that I can't have sex for like 10 weeks or something? And I was like, oh, is there a reason for that? Like, she was like, no, but it's just because his friends have told him that, you know, it's fine after like six weeks and three weeks. And I just want to give myself space. And I was like, that's absolutely fine. I'm happy to do what you want, but... Equally, I want you to understand that you can tell him that I'm not actually ready. And if you're telling me that there are no issues here in terms of, you know, issues between the two of you, he will understand that. And it will be better than you feeling like you need to lie. Like, you know, that whole, oh, yeah, you're cleared for sex after six weeks. It is like it's not literal, like, and it's not really helpful. You're cleared for sex when you feel cleared for sex. That's when you're cleared for sex. Like that's, that's literally <laughs> the long and short of it. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 there, it's those kind of toxic messaging um, that definitely feed the benefits of men. 
um, you know, yeah. and put us in a, in a position where we feel like we have to lie or that we feel like we're inadequate or that we, you know, there's something wrong with us. Yeah, yeah I remember like the God six week check and then I, have you thought about contraception? And I was like, hell no. <laughs> what do I need that for? <laughs> I haven't even thought about, what? I was like, I'm pretty sure the fact that I've still got like stitches and I'm bleeding, like that, that'll that do sure it. It's fine. I remember saying to my, my GP, I was like, no, abstinence is more than enough, darling. We're absolutely fine. Like, don't need that. <laughs> if people are like listening to this thinking like, okay, I would like to book a session with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so if you can head to my Instagram, Mixing Up Motherhood, and you can see sort of what other people think and stuff to get a feel. Um, and then you can also head to my website, which is www.mixingupmotherhood.com. But what I will mention as well is... I try and keep the, the space and the service as accessible as possible. And I do have a scheme, which is a paid forward scheme where people anonymously will pay for other people to have a session. Um, I tend to have a lot of sort of a few of these every month available and I don't ask for any any reasons or anything. You just need to say, Ellie, I'm in need of help. I can't actually afford it. And the session, if I've got one available, is yours or you'll go on a waiting list. So don't let money be a factor. If you feel that I can support you, just feel free to message me and I will put you on the list or give you a session if I've got it available. You don't need to follow me. You don't need to have engaged with me. It's not about that. It's just about trying to keep it as accessible as possible. So that's what you could do. I didn't know about that service. That's amazing. Um, before I go, I do want to share a positive birth story because I do love to hear them and I love to hear people experiencing them. So this is from Emily who got in touch. Hi, my name's Emily and I've got a little baby boy, Jesse, who's about four months younger than Alf. Um, I actually didn't know who you were until I became a mum and started or I was you know pregnant and started following you and ever since I not only have followed you but I also listen to all your podcasts each week um, and I've found watching and listening to your journey with Alf really really uh, interesting and uh, helpful for me so thank you very much for that. Um, I've just listened to your last podcast when you said that you're going to have an elective C with your next baby um, and I just wanted to say that I had uh, an elective C with my first because he was breach and I have such a positive birth experience and I absolutely loved it even down to um the fact that I did like my hair and makeup before we went in for the surgery so all my pictures I actually think that I look quite nice which I know shouldn't matter at all but it does and I loved looking back at those pictures um so that was really great and I loved it um one of the things I was most worried about or anxious about in pregnancy was um not knowing when when I was going to go into labor and when I was going to have him and that caused me quite a lot of anxiety so knowing that I had a date booked in and everything obviously I knew that he could come early but even even just knowing that there was a date booked in made, like really made me feel better and the whole process with me and my husband going in together and everything it was just amazing it was just great um however it was in lockdown so when we um once we had him I was then really rushed to get home because I obviously visiting hours were so reduced because of COVID and everything. Um, so I went home the day after, which 
I'm really glad I did. But one thing I didn't realise about was the fact that the hospital beds are really great at getting you to sit up um, because obviously you had so much cut through. Um, I didn't realise how dependent you were on those muscles to actually sit up. Um, and so without the use of the hospital bed, when I got home, I found that really difficult. Um, and I ended up, they say you should swing your legs over the side of the bed and that will kind of pivot you up, um, which is great unless you have a next to me, which I did. And then I was like, well, what do I do now? Um, so that was the biggest challenge for me. And I would now suggest, I know it's really difficult, but if you can stay in hospital for two nights, um, minimum than I would just to give your body chance to recover and get used to the fact that you don't have a hospital bed at home um, that will help you kind of sit up and back down again so yeah um, I hope everything goes well good luck and thank you so much for all your help oh I love that <laughs> positive and also really good advice yeah, exactly and also it's just like an elective cesarean section can be really positive and also because you make the decision based on what your needs are which is exactly what she did and hopefully what you're doing as well emily thank you so much for messaging in um, i love hearing from you all so if you want to get in touch whether it's something we talked about today whether it's something you want me to talk about on the podcast and um, whatever it might be uh, you can get in touch on whatsapp like emily did either a message or a voice message which is free um the number is 075-999-27537 or you can email in at askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com um, of course if you want to leave an apple review then I can find those messages as well and obviously it's really helpful to leave reviews so that other people can find us and hopefully you enjoyed this episode and hopefully it's been um, informative and empowering for anyone that is going through birth trauma and Illy thank you so much for your time as well and for our actual birth debrief which was really helpful for me in my own journey and so now I have to rush back to Alf who is off from the childminders so um, I will see you back with another episode same time same place next week I'm sure as parents we all know how messy things can get whether that's around the house during meal times and even when it comes to our little ones themselves when it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I even find myself using them. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.